Hello, everybody listening out there and listening land, whether you do it through your speakers, your headphones, or somebody yelling the podcast at you as they listen to it. That sounds like a fun way to do it. Whatever. You do you. Happy New Year. We here at RPG Fan have had uh, some fun holiday times for the most part. Uh, New Year's happened and been upon us, and we partied it, and a goose stole our logo. It's been good times. Uh, but welcome back to uh, Random Encounters. This is episode 178, and we are here to discuss the Game of the Year feature that is dropped on the site and uh, talk about everything that we love about, you know, what was the best of last year, of 2019. Uh, I mean, we did an episode with uh, Caitlin and Mike not too long ago where we just kind of talked about our own personal loves and reflections and such, but this is a much bigger, well-thought-out feature, and we've got some gems that just kind of stole our hearts this year. And we plan to discuss that, and I've got a pretty solid panel of uh, fellows here to join me to do that. So, first of all, we'll introduce, returning to the podcast, John O'Logan. Thanks for coming back. Thank you, my pleasure. And we have Peter Treisenberg, who's finally back. Hi, everybody, I'm alive. Yay! Good. And I don't know if I've had Tyler, I don't think you've been on the podcast since I've kind of taken over things, but Tyler Trosper, welcome to Random Counter. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have you been on? You've been on random in the past, though. I'm pretty sure. I, I've been on retro for the chrono, uh, the chrono cross episode of retro. Yeah. But this is your first random. This is my first time on random. Yeah. There we go. It's okay. We'll be gentle. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Thank you. No promises. Uh, I feel like oh. that's an empty promise from Peter. Uh, oh. At least. For him personally, <laughs> oh, <laughs> neither confirm nor deny. I'm just go put these uh, handcuffs away here. Oh, uh, <laughs> they are at uh, least fuzzy. Oh, there's that. <laughs> well, welcome on in, Tyler. Uh, yes, we'll be we'll be good, and uh, welcome everybody in. So yeah, how's how the holidays been for everybody? It's been good. good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. Good. My my sister flew down from Oregon, so we had some good uh, fam- family time and. Uh, just kind of took it easy for a bit, which was uh, long long needed after 2019. <laughs> mm. Just a bit of a, I guess, not a record year for you, but just stuff happened over the year, and it was good to kind of let it all go away? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's been one of those. Ah, I get that. How about yourself, uh, Tyler? Oh, yeah, it's been pretty all right. I've had, like, two weeks off of work, and I don't know what I'm doing with all of this free time, but it's it's been nice. Probably replaying Xenosega. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> I got I got um Torna the Golden Country for Christmas, and like the first thing I did was message Tyler about it. Like, hey, look what I got. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Good. That's exciting. That's a good present. Oh yeah. See, so Blade Chronicles Two is something I really want to get back. Not get back to, but get to period. Yeah, I've got a. I have the collector's edition because I bought it off of Rob Steinman, but it's been sitting on my shelf for like a year. (laughs) I need to actually finish it. It's so good. It's so good. Unless you're Rob Steinman, but I'm biased. But yeah. And John, you uh, went out to uh, far further east to visit your rents and such, uh, and help them through uh, some internet uh, reconnection this morning. So how's uh, how are your holidays? (laughs) Uh, pretty good. Every every couple of months, I fly to Nova Scotia and basically just do tech support for two weeks um, for my parents. And uh, <laughs> everything has been go- everything's been going fine. We had we got uh, a big internet upgrade this morning, and uh, and uh, it seems to be working because you can hear me. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, I'm pretty happy. 
unfortunately, I haven't really been playing many games because I'm in Nova Scotia with my old laptop and my Switch and PS4 left at home. I left my Switch at home so my partner could finish uh, Breath of the Wild. That is incredibly delightful and generous of you. Very much. Yeah, so. she won't. She won't. I'll get back yes. and she'll be like, nope, didn't play it. That's pretty much the same with my wife. Uh, like, And that's so close <laughs> oh. to finishing Breath of the Wild. And I keep kind of poking at her. I'm like, you going to finish it today? You going to do it yet? You going to oh. finish it now? And she's just like, but then it'll be done. <laughs> like, that's very sweet. But also, we did just get Link's Awakening. So. Ah, good choices. It's really funny you say that because uh, the last Legend of Zelda game I tried to, well, I didn't have to force her to play it, but I got her to play it was Link to the Past. And she got to she got to uh, Ganon's uh, Fortress and then just stopped playing it for a year and a half. And then this summer we were at the cottage wow. and she opened, she she was at the cottage and she started playing it and she finished like an hour later and she's like, that's it? It could have taken me an hour and I waited a year and a half. And I was like, yeah, now you can start Breath of the Wild. And I can't tell whether or not she's doing it to drive me crazy, but she's at Hyrule Castle and she hasn't played it for about seven months. So I... <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, similarly, not too far <laughs> off from that. I mean, I know she's got a bunch of like side stuff she would like to go do and find some more um, shrines and such like that. So she's still got a few end game things she can kind of partake in. But yeah, she's been sitting on it for a good six months, and a lot of that is largely due to work and just she's been super yeah. busy with uh, things outside of it. So she just hasn't quite had the energy to commit to playing it because for her, it's it's an experience because she does love it, but also uh, combat isn't her forte. So that is less of a, of a stress reliever for her and more of a stressful thing. So she's got to be, she's got to be in the right mindset to want to take on um, the many monsters of breath of the wild. So I get it, but also it's just like, you've had like a month off. Just, just chill out and just play a video game. But whatever. Yeah. One of the reasons I love that game is because it's, it's really cool to watch your loved ones play. Cause they play like, she plays it completely differently than I do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's one of those games that really does let you. I guess this is last year's game, or one of the last year's game of the year. But it's one of those games that you can really do whatever you want and play the game however you want. Well, there's a reason it was our top game mm-hmm. of the past decade. So yeah, but it's true. Like yeah, I've learned uh, sometimes the hard way uh, that backseat gaming with my wife is a bad thing through that game. So it's been a good learning experience for the both of us. So. <laughs> Uh, and for myself, holidays were good. We were, um, I don't know, it's been up and down with levels of busyness. New Year's was was a fun time. It was really dead at work. So I actually was able to get out early enough to go out and hang out with my wife at some friends and ring in the new year. Uh, we found a fellow nerd there that uh, discussed a lot of the more problematic aspects of the recent Star Wars series, uh, mm-hmm. as well as the good things about it all as well and what could have been. But uh, that was made for, yeah, just a fun night of discussion and talking with other folks. And our friend's husband is super into making drinks. So they had like a full like cocktail list for us. And he was just very excited to just make all kinds of great drinks. I had a Moscow mule and a copper cup, so I can't complain. That's that good. makes my night. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> ringing the new year. It was good. My wife was drunkenly dancing and claiming she wasn't drunk. It was great. They weren't allowed to do that in Iowa when I lived there, <laughs> which was really weird for me. <laughs> Have Moscow mules or drunkenly dance in the in the copper cup. Um, they had they actually because there was this hoax going around that like it was like actually bad for you, like 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 poisonous. So oh. and huh? the Iowa was one of the few states that passed legislature about it. So you can't they can't serve mules in a copper cup in that state. Well, all right. It was one of those really <laughs> weird things. I only lived there for a year, and it was just like, what the heck. <laughs> I'd like to see that as the main plot point in a remake of Footloose. 
<laughs> Bring back the cup of cups. Because I really did think you were like, dancing's illegal there? Really? <laughs> no, not dancing. <laughs> you know what, though? You know what, though? There's a pitch in there somewhere. <laughs> Kevin Bacon visits Iowa and he's just like, I want a Moscow mule, please. And then they give him a glass and he's like, what is this garbage? Copper cup. And they're like, no. And he's like, what? So we're going to cut loose, cup loose. That sounds like a commercial. Uh, And then yesterday to wrap up kind of our whole holiday thing, we did a big open house, which we kind of try to do usually in the holidays once, uh, once a year with getting, making an excuse for all of our friends basically to come to us and our extended group of colleagues that we both have between the two of us. And, it just makes it easier to do the visiting on the holidays, and our house is big enough to host like thirty to fifty people relatively comfortably. So just we say like eleven a.m. on, just come to our house whenever you feel like it. And we had a good stream of guests coming through, and uh, yeah, just lots of fun. A few doggos came and went, and there was usually someone brought a kid that always was playing with Gwen, so she always had someone to play with as well. The neighbors came over for many hours of the day. It was great. So it was a really fun way to make the house feel. It kind of warms up the house annually. It's how it really feels. Just like rewarm it, give it love, make us remember everyone that is important to us, and then move on the next year, just being too busy to see each other kind of thing for a while until the next time. So that was lovely. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds nice. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And here we are now to talk about all the lovely games that 2019 brought us. Uh, if you haven't seen it on the website yet, the uh, Game of the Year 2019 overall awards has been uh, doled out by the uh, the team here at RPG Fan. I want to take a moment to thank Zach Wilkerson, who kind of helmed a lot of our feature stuff for the end of the year, which is great because it takes it off the plate of uh, folks like Mike or Alana, uh, who keep doing far too many things that they just they need a break, and that's okay. Exactly. And I'm glad there's someone like Zach who's there to uh, kind of pick up the pieces and say, like, you know what? Let me get this, because uh, he's very enthusiastic about our feature department and just pushing through a lot of good stuff like that. And whether it's his own or group features, it's great. So thank you, Zach, for coordinating all of this and uh, getting everybody uh, to do things in a timely manner. Yeah, thank getting you, knocked out of the park. Yes, and thank you, you to all of our uh, proofreaders uh, who kind of took a look at things for us to make sure we don't sound like dopes when talking about our RPGs. <laughs> so we had, uh, yeah, Hillary, of course, was reading over things, Caitlin and uh, Kyle, even though I know he's been being very apologetic about how not involved he's been lately. We still love you, Kyle. You you come when you can, man, and you do good work, so no worries. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I guess we'll just uh, just tackle this. I mean, we'll have Reader's Choice, and we have a lot of individual awards and all those things going on, but uh, for now, we're just going to do what was best and um i mean a lot of us probably cut our teeth on the old traditional rpg you know you line up one side of heroes with one side of enemies and you beat each other by choosing things on a menu and they have come a long way since final fantasy and dragon quest to uh this year's winner which is the legend of heroes trails of cold steel 3 for myself uh i mean we've talked about it fairly exhaustively on the on the episode we had caitlin on in the past and we all know that she absolutely loved that series she dove into the entire trolls series over this past year uh to kind of lead up to this and is now pining desperately for trails of cold steel 4 to hopefully come out in 2020 uh but scott clay did a write-up for us because he did about a he did a bunch of uh, streaming it for twitch for us as well and plus scott's feature also just went up about so you want to get into trails so 
do check that out if you are interested. It for myself, I've got Cold Steel sitting in my Steam library. It's a game that I've always wanted to try out because it's I just love the strategy element of it. I'm interested in that kind of uh, I, th- I think as Mike and Caitlin both kind of put it for me, just that whole persona y kind of vibe of getting the relationships and getting to know the students. And now that I finally have played um, Fire Emblem Three Houses, I get that and I like that, but I like it has to be the right setting. Like Persona's setting, as stylish and cool as it all that looks, it's never really done it for me. Whereas this sort of kind of like World War ish kind of vibe of Cold Steel seems a little bit more my oeuvre just with the stylization and how it all looks and everything. So I'm excited to get into this series at some point, and it's great that a lot of them are coming over here, and then we got the announcement of new stuff, so there's a lot of good hype. Gentlemen, did any of you get into this at all, this uh, anime wartime goodness? I have not gotten into Trails. I've tried. Um, I have Trails in the Sky, and that was actually the very first episode of Retro Encounter uh, way back in the day. And trying to play that game on a timeline, on a, like a deadline, was a mistake. Um... <laughs> Oh, is it just very grindy, or why was it uh, what made it problematic for you? Th- those games are very in-depth and very slow-paced, and it's one of those slow-burn type of narratives that you really have to kind of savor and enjoy and trying to rush it, especially on the PSP version, which is very, it's very old school. Not in a bad way, but just in a way that you have to you have to be patient with it, and unfortunately trying to beat it in a month, like and record three podcasts, because this is back before we were doing two episodes for the Game Journal, so we were doing three. Um... It just, it was too much, and it turned me off the series for the longest time. But um, seeing the enthusiasm for Cold Steel really makes me want to get back into it. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely, I think it's kind of one of my 2020 missions, is I'm going to try and pick up pick up the Cold Steel 1 and, uh, one and give the series a, a shot again. Because, um, yeah, everything I've seen about 3 and looks awesome. Everything I'm hearing about the series is, like, setting sounds really cool. The world in general just kind of reminds me of a Full Metal Alchemist in a weird way. Does if that make sense? It's got that kind of like alt history type vibe to it. I can kind of see that. I don't know. That's what it always reminded me of. But yeah, unfortunately, I don't really have much to say specifically on Cold Steel Three specifically. But um, aside from the fact that it looks awesome, and clearly, if it won uh, our best traditional RPG, it's got to be wor- it's got to be uh, worth checking out. Yeah, my experience with Cold Steel 3 is primarily listening to uh, Caitlin talk about it. And uh, that is, hearing her talk about this game really made me want to play it just because of her, like, I I respect her opinion uh, tremendously. Like, when I read one of her reviews, I just, it instantly makes me want to either play or not play a game. So hearing her talk about it uh, in person just really made me excited about it. And then I started looking into the entire series and that is a real high barrier of entry yeah (laughs) Yeah, this is it's one of those plot driven rpgs where i think i think scott in his article compared it to infinity war like Mm. you really do need to have that long-term um investment to get the most out of it because you're gonna have all these recurring characters and it's the culmination of years of storytelling yeah um yeah, because I I have a similar experience to Peter. I I played the first two Sky games, and then I played Cold Steel one. And I I uh, I, I think I I might have like went too hard into the Trail series, so I got like really really burnt out because there's that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of game, um, especially the Cold Steel games. But yeah, it's it's a lot to to take in, especially if 
with so much of it. Um, so I haven't gotten around to three. I'm still uh, partway through the second Cold Steel game, but um, I eventually want to go back because it's just it's yeah I've been enjoying it, especially with the improvements they made with the battle system for the Cold Steel series. I I really enjoyed those improvements and but yeah it's it's a massive undertaking, especially if you want to get into the whole story. Have any of you checked out uh, Scott's feature yet that he did? Yeah, it was very well done, I thought. It, it's great and definitely lays out kind of the best way to approach everything for sure. Like It's it's going to be a reference document when I get back to it and probably something you may have wished you had back when you did uh, Retro. Yeah, I need to check out that feature. But yeah, there's a, there's a reason it was a clear winner given the praise that Caitlin was laying down on this. And yeah, Scott definitely echoes that. So definitely check out the title uh, if you know the old classic JRP is your thing. It seems to kind of hit all those beats perfectly. Uh, our runner-up was uh, another traditional RPG that also has done a lot of upgrading over the years, but it is a bit divisive, I suppose, with how it uh, maybe kept it a little too safe, which we did discuss on the podcast a bit about how you know the Pokemon series does little bits and pieces of iterating throughout its generations with each kind of like new, uh, well, it was handheld and now console that it gets onto, and you know, the fact that Sword and Shield gave a strong front and has built a good foundation is great, but could they have done more? And maybe by the end of this generation life cycle, whether it's um, one or two games away, will we get the, like, the optimal Switch version before it moves on to whatever the next Nintendo console is? I don't know. But it's either way, Sword and Shield does give, like I said, that, that good, str- uh, strong foundation with giving us some fun new forms to experience giving us the giant monster battles uh which definitely add a certain thrill and you're trying to get friends to come out for it um peter you've already beaten it i haven't yet i've only just gotten my fire badge from kabu and i'm still wandering around uh the wild area once again lost trying to find the rare pokemon that may pop up here and there but how's the entire overall experience been for you i so I, I like Sword and Shield a lot. Um, I've actually put more time into Sword than I have into any other Pokemon game. I'm, my playtime is currently sitting at about 90 hours. <laughs> oh, wow. What's the chief, like, what contributed that the most, do you feel? Is it just because wandering the wild area? Or? It's, I think it's, it is primarily the wild area, although the wild area is not really as big as some might think. It, it's, it's, it's a very compartmentalized open space, if that makes sense. Like, you have a lot of little miniature biomes to explore it's like i mean a bit bigger like hyrule field where hyrule field in like ocarina of time felt so big but when you look at it it's really just this really big room (laughs) this is not this is not an open world pokemon game it's an it's a giant open it's basically think of it more like the safari zone if that makes sense yeah it's it's like have it's like being able to freely explore a safari zone type area, but being it's the multiplayer raids I think are what really are really doing it for me, and I kind of gave myself the self imposed challenge of I wanted to raise an, a new team, but um one um with perfect stats. So once I unlocked the uh, IV checker, I was like breeding Pokemon and trying to catch shiny hunt, and I don't really do that, but there's something about Sword and Shield like tickled that uh, for me. So it's got to be doing something right. Yeah, it's a fun new approach for sure, and to go all Doctor Hojo on it. <laughs> I think um I think the I think the main game is really quite enjoyable. It's a little bare bones in some areas, 
Um, particularly the story and how that all wraps up, I think, um, is actually quite disappointing. That's unfortunate, but I can see where that would go because of how how easy everything seems to come, so to speak, in the story. Not necessarily like the player getting stuff easily, which that happens as well, but just, yeah, the story just kind of seems very neat with how everything just kind of happens. I thought I thought Sun and Moon was a more enjoyable narrative experience, if that makes sense. But um, I do think I said as much because I gave Sword. I I talk about Sword and Shield on my individual awards. I don't know if when those are going to go up, but um, I just think Game Freak needs a break because this game is this game is good. Like, don't get me wrong, it makes a lot of little tweaks and balances to the Pokemon formula that I enjoy. The new Pokemon in general, I I adore most of them. Um, I like the new Galarian forms. Yeah, there really wasn't any duds so far. That yeah, I've no, seen. for real. Like, honest, honestly, the and um the whole controversy with the roster being cut. I get why people are disappointed. I kind of feel like it was inevitable because there's more than eight hundred of these things now. That's a good amount of like space. Yeah, not even in terms of like rendering them, balancing them, and like making making them fit in your game world. Yeah, is that would be a Herculean effort. But I feel like Game Freak. But because there are parts of this game that feel so bare bones, I feel like Game Freak really... I don't need to play a Pokemon game every year, you know? Well, exactly. They've been putting out a new game every year for the pretty much since Black 2 and White 2. And I applaud that, but at the same time, like, guys, take a rest. Make a... Take some time to really polish up what you've got and maybe give us a game with a... Just a, just a little bit more TLC, you know? And that's a discussion that's been had on this podcast before, not necessarily that I've been a part of, but I've listened to in the past, where annualization of a series can be very hit or miss. And for sure, giving Game Freak maybe a little more time to breathe and really start fleshing out the series now that it's even on a bigger console, a bigger playing field, might be to the benefit of the series moving forward for them to implement a lot of those bigger changes and um, concepts that people would like to see and expect from them but yeah it's hard to crank it out when they're dealing with a whole new set of hardware and um world expectations power to put more oomph into their game so yeah they're gonna have a few misses but i need to play it safe because they're figuring it out and that's fine no absolutely uh for uh Jono, I, I don't think we've ever actually really talked about Pokemon. Oh, no, we did. I think we talked about it once briefly. Unfortunately, my experience with Pokemon is, like, I... This is just horribly embarrassing to admit. Uh, my last Pokemon game was Red. Like, th- that I played through beginning to end. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I I like I did it at 14 when it first came out. I bought it for Game Boy. I liked it, and I didn't, I didn't love it, and I guess... It's funny, Alana says in the first line here, Pokemon's always been like a reliable friend who's always there for you. And I feel like I like hung out with Pokemon once when I was 14, and now whenever it asks me, I'm like, nah, that's okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know it'll be there if you ever decide to say yes. That's at least that. Yeah, but that just makes me sound like a monster. Um... <laughs> <laughs> just keep it, keep it hanging on. But what, aren't you? No, it's <laughs> totally fair. But I, And that's the thing. Like, It's not going to be for everybody. Yeah. Maybe Dragon Quest uh monsters is more your thing um (laughs) which i would love to see that come back but it's they've definitely gotten a formula that's that's worked and yeah either you're gonna like the the rinse repeat nature of it all and you know it's not much different from any other traditional rpg of course you know you have your party and you grind and get them levels and you defeat big bads as they come and 
and the story is so always been pretty bare bones. Like as everyone says, black and white, I think was like the peak of the storytelling. And it's kind of been not middling since, but it just hasn't achieved that level yet again. So we'll see what they have story-wise moving forward, or if they'll keep kind of building off of what they tried to establish here. And like here was, it seemed like they were trying to go back to just the basics of like, you're in your rival, but, and just kind of taking on the champion. And it was all about that. And, I guess that feeds into the sport nature of the Galarian setup. Yeah, I do like how they like treat it like a sports league. It's it's way more. Um, you get the sense that people are actually like following your journey, which is interesting. It is, and it, yeah, it makes it feel like it matters more uh, because it's yeah, you're placing playing on a global stage like you always have been. But yeah, this is the first time where the actual scale is presented in such a way that you go like, oh, wow, yeah, there we go. And as we all talked about, even leading up to the game's release, that it just felt like what the uh, the TV series was, right? So, yeah. That's really awesome. Now, I'm excited to get through a Gwen beat sword over her dad's house, and she's still playing through her shield save on our end. Uh, we haven't done any trading yet because I'm trying to remember now. I don't know if she has because you need the My Nintendo account or whatever for that whole thing to work out. But uh, hopefully we'll get to do some trading or even she can drag her switch over here and we can locally trade at the very least because she really wants to get a Ponyta in her uh, sword save and I really want that far-fetched. So <laughs> <laughs> we at least have some things going on. And I want to do some uh, Dynamax raids. I've... Now, is there connection issues with it? Because that's one thing I, I've kept seeing people in my YCOM come up and like seeking someone for a raid. And every time I go in, the person's there and then I try to connect. And then it's like, nope, it's no longer here. Or, oh, you can't connect to the host or something. And I'm just like, what? There are there are two. It's I don't it's not I don't think it's a problem on your end. There are two major problems with what's with the ra- the way they have raids set up. One is there's a three minute countdown timer once the raid starts, once the raid, the, the lobby is set up for people to join it. Oh, if you're hosting, yeah, there's that one too. So you have to be on it pretty quickly. So I usually, what I do is I set it to um, only show me, um, you can filter what uh, what shows up in your YCOM. Right. I have it filtered to just send me new raids. The other problem, though, is that um, people figured out an exploit very quickly because, when, so when you're walking through the wild area, um, you'll see these little red pillars of light shooting into the sky, and that shows, hey, there's a raid battle here. Um. But if if um, the bar the if it's purple instead of red, that means that the that's rarer, and it means the Pokemon has at least one perfect IV for its stats. Oh, dope! So what people have been doing is starting a raid battle, quitting out of the game, and if because if, if there's like a half second where you can see the bar the beam of light appearing before it saves your game, so what they're doing is quitting and resetting the game until they get one of those purple raids. Oh, rude. Um, so a lot of, yeah, so a lot of the time if you see a raid and it's like, oh, the host is no longer available, it's because they're, it's because it was, they were just, um, they're just trying to farm the IV thing. Gotcha. But it is kind of, it does kind of ruin the experience for other players. Well, yeah, because obviously there's a lot of kids who uh-huh. probably would just want to just get in and do it. And when they're, it's, it's going to be disheartening when you're just like, I keep trying and never getting in. And what is it? That's a bummer. But I have had, I have had, I've, I've ran a few with some friends, and I have, um, I've actually had been, I've been able to get into a few with like just random players joining up, because I haven't really, I haven't done the uh, exploit thing, so I'll start a lobby, and then people will find it and join it. It's like, oh hey, great, this is fun, especially for the later, the the higher level raids. You really want to have at least one or two people, um, with you because the AI sucks. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah they're, not, they're not always great, that's for sure. I mean, every once in a while, they'll have a move that'll knock it out of the park if you happen to have a type bonus, uh, but it's otherwise... Yeah, <laughs> it's usually you doing all the heavy lifting. They've also been doing, like like with Pokemon Go, they've been doing um, timed events. So they just did a thing where like more Magikarp were spawning in raids, but you could get increased... It was increased odds of getting a shiny. Oh, nice. So I have a shiny, I have a shiny Gyarados now. Yay! That's pretty sweet. But it, it's it's cool. And they're introducing new um, Gigantamax forms with it. Like they, they made a, a Gigantamax Snorlax which wasn't available in the game at launch, you can now find them as raid bosses. So Right, and that's one with like the whole tree on his belly and everything. Yeah, he's got like a little park on his stomach. <laughs> it's been sitting there too long. <laughs> which, why didn't you just do that in red? Just build a road over it. Yeah, know? honestly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so if they keep supporting Sword and Shield like with the online features, I could see that being pretty fun. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, probably a good year of that whole thing. And plus, Pokemon Home will be coming out soon, so people will be excited to be finally be able to get the few Pokemon from their backlog into this game once we kind of figure out how to navigate that to get it from the Pokemon Bank to Pokemon Home and then into Shield and Sword. And, yeah, for uh, sure. So that, that that hasn't even released yet. Tyler, has Pokemon been on your radar over the years? I can't remember if we've talked about it in Slack with you or not. I mean, I just I always associate with you with Xenosaga, so I don't know what else to play. <laughs> I'm kidding. You did just play Octopath Traveler and some other stuff. So <laughs> yeah, I do play other games surprisingly. Um, but I'm kind of in the same boat as uh, Jono. I the last game I played was the original Gold. So um, I I keep wanting to maybe go back to Pokemon, but I'm kind of intimidated with all the new features and stuff that's gone into it over the years. So I I don't know if would would you say Sword and Shield is like a good game to jump back into the series or what do you think, Peter? Do you think Sword and Shield's a good place to jump back in if you really haven't played since like Red or Gold and Silver and such? Yeah, honestly, um, I, I say this about every new Pokemon game. The latest generation is always a good entry point, like because hmm. none of them there there are like little references here and there, but it's not like Pokemon has some big complicated story you have to keep track of. It's just cute little right. sides. The fun of Pokemon, like just catching new new creatures and battling with them and trading with your friends, is like such a universal little joy like i feel like yeah anyone can jump into the most recent one and play it plus this one as they, as always they keep introducing new quality of life improvements mm-hmm. and that's what really makes or breaks it really for you because yeah. just obviously going back to red and blue they're fun but yes. yeah they're so much slower and more archaic now because you just don't have all those benefits for how to grind and mm-hmm. breed and all that stuff that uh, makes pokemon more fun and all the different new mechanics beyond just level them up like you know it's like mm-hmm. befriend them play with them have them out during the day and they'll happen to do this trade them you know all that stuff makes it yeah more exciting too okay if you want to jump into pokemon like yeah sword and shield is as good a jumping in point as any i will say that the thing that actually appealed to me about this is um well going back to my heartless rejection of uh, pokemon's friendship i feel like it keeps inviting me <laughs> to like progressively bigger and bigger parties um, where like, oh, there's going to be even more this time. And, th- and this is the first one they're like, oh, we're scaling it back, actually. Like, I know the Pokedex thing was a massive controversy, but the fact that there isn't like 800 and some Pokemon in this game is actually kind of an appealing feature to me because it doesn't feel quite as, um, I feel like it lowered the barrier of entry to play the game. Mind you, I still haven't played it, so that didn't work on me, but it, it did tempt me. <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it's a bunch of, like, friends who they've invited over, and it's like, oh, I know a few of you, and I'm I'm willing to meet a few new friends, but I didn't want to meet all new friends. 
800 people's a big party. Or 800 monsters, I guess. 800 pocket monsters. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I'd be curious if, if they actually were ever able to uh, build the models and render the entire Pokédex and, like, how much of the wild area it would take up if they put, like, one of each one to size and scale. Like, I wonder how much how big of a chunk it would take up. I'm, I don't think it would obviously fill the entire space, but I feel like there would be, like, one whole area, I feel it would be, would be pretty jam-packed full. Yeah, and I think they were pretty... I think they said, like, they're probably not going to do, like, a, a, a dex that has all of the Pokemon in it again. Obviously, that could change, like, but um, at least as far as, like, having them in the game and wandering the environments and stuff, I'm guessing that's a lot more. Um, it's, I mean, even just having Pokemon appear in the overworld is more than past games have done. Yeah, exactly. They started doing that in Let's Go, which just had the original 151. And that was probably much more manageable. And it was from like a top, an isometric kind of viewpoint. So there wasn't as much demand on the system. Yeah. So here you've got like, you're wandering in a three-dimensional space and you've got like, oh, okay. Like we have a a roster of about 400 Pokemon and most of them can appear in the overworld and have to interact with it. So like, (laughs) yeah, that's a lot more work. It is. But it is, like you said, a great place to come back in because the quality of life changes just make it so much more appealing. You can still get into those little random battles and it's exciting because you're like, maybe it'll be a shiny because they don't just appear on the overworld as you wander around. Like they're uh, just a random encounter. But then you can also just go for the ones that you actually want by seeing them running around the map and be like, I want that Eevee. Go chase it down. And there you go. Or they'll chase you down conversely and you're running away from beware's you know, or whatever it is. So at any rate, it was a great entry into the traditional category this year. And uh, I'm glad to see it's gotten some love because yeah, Game Freak had a, a rough go leading up to it. And we, uh, we salute them for their work in pushing through the depression of uh, an entire, you know, fan base. It felt like kind of turning on them, but they, they did good. It's a good game. It's fun, and uh, I would like to uh, see how it keeps getting supported over the next year. So, action RPGs. Uh, I, I think my first action RPG was Secret of Mana. Uh, that was a good time. I It was one of my... I've talked about it on the podcast and on the website a lot that Secret of Mana is one of like my fledgling RPGs that got me into the genre. And uh, it was... You know, you go back to it now, and it's it's got its clunk, but it's still a lot of fun. Uh, and... I uh, haven't really done much in the way of um, the Castlevania series and such. So our winner, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, was one that I slept on just because it looks great, but it's just, it's, uh, do I need to take on a new fandom? Do I need to take on a whole new oeuvre of of a genre, so to speak, with the Metroidvania stuff? Like, I like Metroid, and I've played most of that, but Castlevania, Dracula and everything's cool. The Netflix series is rad. But I just was like, uh, it's a whole new thing to get into, and I, I don't really feel the need to at this moment. But uh, did any of you guys back Bloodstain back when it was um, it was Kickstarter, right? Yeah, I uh, I believe I did. It's it's sitting in my Steam library now, and I still got lost in the it, backlog. It, it's actually not lost in the backlog. It's like right at the front of the backlog because I am a I am a massive uh, Metroidvania style Castlevania fan. So it's been sitting there and I just am like, oh, I want to play this. I want to play this. And I just haven't gotten the opportunity yet. But I feel like in January, it's probably going to happen. Wonderful. Well, what about Bloodstain and its Kickstarter 
and like the entire thing about the game, like what appealed you to want to like get in, invest, and back it? Is it simply just your love of Castlevania and the Metroidvania oeuvre, or is like it because this did they just make such a good presentation that you're just like, yep, I'm in? Uh, well, one of my one of my very first jobs as an actor when I was in my early twenties was I was working at Canada's Wonderland doing a Halloween show called Fangs. Where I was dressed, I, I was dressed as a very sparkly vampire with black hair and black and red hair, and I sang uh, songs from by a band named Ludo. Um, you would, you beautiful man. Thank you very much. Um, but between like we were doing about seven or eight shows a day, and they were just like forty-five minute shows. So I played through the entire catalog of GBA and DS uh, uh, Castlevania games, and. Uh, I loved them. Like, it was, I just did all six of them in just one giant concentrated block of, like, a month and a half. And, uh... That's some, some commitment to the craft. You were like, I'm gonna method to it... Through, I'm gonna method my love of vampires through video games. <laughs> You're not kidding. Like, I would be sitting there and, like, I'd have, like, a frilly shirt on and it was, like, red crushed velvet and I'd be playing Castlevania. Um... They're like, John, on your own. You're like, bleh! That happened once, I think. Um, but yeah, it was... I, I love the game. So when I heard this and it's 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 coming out and oh my god it's going to be another metroidvania style uh i was in instantly i thought this is going to be amazing and then of course life gets in the way and other games gets in the way and i have things to review and and work is and work and i just kind of kept putting it off and it's finally gotten to the point now where it's like all right i i have a little free time in january i don't really have anything to play right now that's too urgent i'm gonna dive into this also, Mike's little blurb here he wrote for this, I I think it's hilarious. The, the amount of shade uh, he has in it is amazing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> he is not uh, <laughs> altogether kind towards uh, where Castlevania came from, for sure. And rightly so. Yeah. They, they had to go to, away to kind of make the game they wanted, and it's I'm glad they did, and with some resounding success, because, again, it was, it's, from the sounds of it, a kind of a safe step in, it does a lot of references and stuff to make it digestible and appealing to fans and what they know, but it has set up this really neat gameplay mechanic and world that uh, it sounds really intriguing. Like it, it actually would be maybe a place where I would start with this, with the, this version of the genre might be Bloodstained Retold the Night just because I, again, it, like with Pokemon, it sounds like it has some really neat quality of life stuff in there and some really neat gameplay systems that shake up the whole formula. Yeah, I mean, Cynthia the Night is, it's a classic. It's one of the greatest games ever made. And I would argue it still holds up to pretty much anything today, graphically, gameplay-wise. It's still a blast to play. And this seems like it really does pick that, uh, grab that baton and runs with it. And I mean, I remember when it came out, about, like, was it a week before it came out? Pretty much the entire internet was terrified it was going to be another Mighty Number no. 9. Um, and then it came out and everyone said, oh my god, no, it's good. It's good. It's really good. Thank god. Just right through the uprights. Hmm. Uh, sports references. I don't know. Anyways, no. <laughs> uh, how about you, other two fellows? Is uh, the Metroidvania has been in your uh, your catalog over the years, or no? I suck at those. Um, that but is a great I, opening. I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I really did enjoy the the Castlevania uh, anime, and um, I don't know. I've I've seen footage of. Um, this game and then i i'm kind of interested in playing it but at the same time i'm like i'm probably not gonna make much progress in it because i suck at those games has it has platforming kind of always eluded you of it like that aspect of it is it the platforming like the skill base 
end of it because it's obviously it's not like your traditional action RPG uh, in terms of being a top-down isometric thing. Yeah, the uh, platforming and I just I don't know. I'm just not. I guess, I guess I could give it a try, but um, yeah, I'm just not very good skill-wise, which I guess is why I gravitate towards like traditional RPGs. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> Play what you like, right? Like no one's gonna you're. I don't see you as any less of a gamer because you don't like platforming or don't want to play Castlevania. You, also, getting as you get older, you got to make time for what you want to make time for and not for stuff that you know is like not going to stick well with you, right? Like, I wanted to play Dark Souls really badly. I got through a good oh. chunk of it and I enjoyed it, but it got to a point where I was like, I'm too old for this so to speak like i just i didn't have i didn't care enough (laughs) to invest the time anymore when there's other things that would be better made my time would be better used to playing and that i would enjoy that much more and enjoy then i was picking up easier like i wasn't bad at dark souls but i wasn't great at it either so it was a bit more of a slog and every time i Mm kind of bounced off and came back i had to kind of relearn my skills and and how how to properly dodge and combo and all that sort of stuff. So like I get it, and I probably won't play another one ever. And it's nothing against the series; they look great, and mm-hmm. and that is what it is. It's just I ain't got time for that. So it's okay. Yeah. Have you been a, a vania er? Not no. I'm actually in the same boat as Tyler. I'm not too great at side scrolling side scrolling platformers. Um, mm-hmm. I I so I just kind of like. I bounce off of them really bad. I think it looks really good, and um, you know I've been curious, but at the same time, it's like I don't hundred percent know if this is my bag. It's been hit or miss for me, but until I feel I make some more progress through like Rogue Legacy and finally get to playing Shovel Knight, I feel like I really don't need to take on a new one. That's for sure. Rogue Legacy is so good. Oh, isn't it though? Oh my gosh, I just love the the formula. I do too. It's funny though. I mean, I you're talking about getting older and having more responsibilities. I I have to admit, sometimes I wonder if I, the older I get, the well, the worse I get at games. A couple months ago, I I, I, I got <laughs> oh man, I downloaded, uh, I bought um, Mega Man Eleven a few months ago because I love Mega Man games, and I like in my twenties, I just I burned through the entire series. I just marathoned the series and I started it up, but within the first twenty seconds, I think I jumped down a hole. And then I, I, it did not get much better from there. And then I was like, I remember these being a little bit easier. And I, I just, I just, I played it for like a day and a half and I beat two robot masters. And I was like, you know what? I'm done with this for the time being. I'm just going to try something else. And then I swear to God, I installed Celeste because I'm an idiot. Because <laughs> I was like, Mega Man's too hard. I think I'll play Celeste instead. I've been told I really need to play Hollow Knight. It looks pretty good. Yes, I do as well, actually. Hollow Knight's one of my favorite games of all time. I wish we were covering the sequel. <laughs> it's uh, There's a lot of good ones out there, but I get it. What we do and do not cover is the source of much debate here at RPG Fan. Like We started covering Monster Hunter pretty much because Monster Hunter or Hunter World added damage numbers. And it's like, okay, well now we can justify it. It's an action RPG. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and a good Publishers, one. there's a hint there. If you want us to cover you, just actually put numbers under when, under the characters whenever they get hit. Numbers, character choices, we're good. Well, I mean, we've covered Zelda for years, and it's like just pretty much just because. And it's like Breath of the Wild comes along, and Breath of the Wild even won like our best RPG of the decade thing. And it was like, well, you know there's going to be one Joe Schmo who's like, we're actually, Zelda's not an RPG, but Breath of the Wild is the most RPG-like Zelda game. Of all of pretty yeah. much all of them, yeah, it's mostly uh, we give it a pass because swords and castles. 
at a at a, a legacy overhead view. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it's yeah. It, if anything, it maybe is more in the adventure game genre. But yeah, it's definitely like an action adventure game and less RPG. But you play the role of Link and you make choices, and those choices have consequences to your health bar. Yeah, see, the moral, <laughs> yeah. the moral of the stories: we're all filthy hypocrites, and video games are fun. So get over yourselves. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like I, it's like I said earlier about my partner. We it's, you do play a role. You play as Link, and you play it exactly as you want. Like I played through when I was having an adventurous time, and my partner's playing through, and she'll call me and she's like, "Look, I caught a new bug," and I'll be like, "Oh." You're not playing the game wrong, but you're certainly not playing it like I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's whatever you get out of it, right? It's yeah, and that's what's magical about it. And it's the same with anything. So yeah. Anyways, all that being said, Bloodstain is yeah a rad looking entry into the whole um, Metroidvania genre. Can't wait. I'll I mean I'll mention when I play it. I'll mention it next time I'm on the show. Anyways, that being said, Bloodstain's rad. Uh, and definitely seems like a good place to jump into the genre, and uh, I'm excited to, yeah, all the shade thrown at, uh, um, you know, uh, the the original host of Castlevania uh, aside, it's nice to see they're still making this, more or less the franchise, and taking it in the direction they want now, and I really hope that the success of this game, its Kickstarter, and its, uh, you know, its purchase history since then is going to lead to more in the genre, and that might be very encouraging to get into at some point. Um, the other flip side of the whole action RPG genre has kind of changed, again, not top-down at all. Like, again, Secret of Mana uh, is, you know, what Borderlands and Fallout and even, like, The Elder Scrolls has brought the first-person or third-person viewpoint of playing uh, through your action RPGs these days in the uh, the whole 3D world, uh, which, you know, also bounces off what we were talking about with uh, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, but we had The Outer Worlds, which we all know John's Jono's thoughts on that, uh, he liked it a lot, and we'll get him to talk more about that. For myself, I still haven't played it, of course, because since it's only been a few months and I've had other things in life to play and I'm playing RPGs uh, for the site, but I do really want to play The Outer Worlds because you sold me so well on it, John, and uh, again, our video review of it makes it look super fun, but I still haven't even done um, New Vegas, so... I feel like I really want to get uh, the foundation of Obsidian out the way before I dive into this, but who knows? It'll be it'll come when it comes, and I'll find the time for it and I'll play it. But it's just you know you got life and a family, you got a budget. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, but uh, how about you, fellows? I, I know this one's more on the Western side, and I always traditionally think of both yourself, Peter and Tyler, as more of the JRPG fans. But uh, I can't remember what Westerns is. Do the Western tendencies of this? Um, I guess scare you away from it, or have you ever been ones to embrace like Fallout and all that stuff? I don't know much about that with you guys. Uh, I, I hate Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Whoa. This, it, oh, sir, you have some good company now. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome okay. to the party. <laughs> so, it, it, it's honest. Okay, hate is maybe a strong word. Okay, I know that's not true. I I actually hate them. Um, but um, I don't like. I'm not really a big fan of their games. They're not my thing. I don't like the fact that they kind of get away with putting out like half finished products into the ether, and like for some reason they're the only one who gets a pass on this. Okay. Um, so I like the Outer Worlds just on principle of it being kind of a giant middle finger at Bethesda. Um, but, um, I haven't played it myself, unfortunately, no. Because, again, genre-wise, it's just not really my thing. But, uh, I'm, I'm really glad to see it, uh, t- it's been successful. Yeah, and it, it's definitely building, um, some really good faith, well, continued faith for Obsidian, right? Like, 
they've already there everyone likes them but again they've had obviously a problematic history with just glitch and makeup and such and other games but they weren't as Jono said they weren't shy about saying this isn't a triple a game which gave them a bit of a a foot out the door just in case it didn't land but it was a safe way to play it they've always had great ambitions like um uh knights of the old republic 2 isn't it's an unfinished game but the story of it was like thematically one of the probably one of the richest star wars like narratives to be told in video in the in the series like i was really impressed with it um and it's just the game is just kind of a kind of janky um so i like the fact that they're getting more time to like see their visions fully realized between uh outer worlds and pillars of eternity and i wonder if this is going to be a trend moving forward with a lot of developers where they're starting to realize wait we can just release it when we want to and it's hard when you like, you know, you have to pay lip service to bigger production companies like EA and such like that. Obviously, they have deadlines to meet and people, to, uh, investors to make happy and stuff like that. So that puts them under a gun. But I feel like some of these smaller, bigger companies are going to be in a place like where Red can just say like, yeah, you'll get Cyberpunk when it's done, you know, and CD Projekt Red rather will say you can get that when it's done and Obsidian be like, you can get it when it's ready and uh, the team working on Baldur's Gate 3 it'll be out when it's out and I'm okay with that same as Nintendo like they'll take it back to the drawing board to just be like nah, it's not quite there yet let's give it a bit more time and that's if that's what it needs I would rather that in that spirit I know that's I know that Cyberpunk is supposed to be released in April and I will be stunned if it gets released in April I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a game I, I think it'll be released this year I don't think they're going to delay it for longer than that because it looks like it's in really good shape but I feel like C Project Red especially is the kind of company that would not be shy to say, we need an extra month to really nail this. Now, that's not, I, I, I'm not saying that will happen, but if you've been I would waiting not this be surprised. Long, like, eh, whatever, dropping the bucket, really. You mean um, like what, what yeah. should have happened with Anthem? Yeah, exactly, right? And mm-hmm. again, that's, you know, again, I'm sure they had deadlines to meet and people pressuring them to get that out the yeah. door, right? Because quarterly reports and financial gains and yada 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 it's one of those things where like so like my um my favorite action or this is not one of the uh candidates that won for us but my favorite action rpg was kingdom hearts 3 because i love that series and that game we've been waiting for for ages and i think it was totally worth it mainly because like when when we it came out it was super polished like mm-hmm. did it do everything like people had built up in their heads as like this dream game no not really but like as far as the the game experience we got, it looks beautiful. It runs great. There's all these little details everywhere, and it just feels like they put a lot of love and care into it. Just wasn't quite your dream job distance game. It's it's a it's a far sight better than dream drop distance. I'll put it that That's way. good. <laughs> I know I threw some shade at you earlier, Tyler, about playing only Xenosaga, and like I was saying, I don't know what you play in the Western RPG genre, but it, has these titles ever been on your radar? Or? um yeah i mean i've like i really love like the original mass effect trilogy um first two halo uh, fable games um i but there's one thing that's really like getting me from not getting into the outer worlds and it's kind of a silly thing but um i wish you could put it in third person because i i don't i don't do first person games uh it's just not there Mm. for you yeah i mean depends on the game but sometimes i get kind of motion sick when it gets comes to first person so i uh yeah 
I actually wouldn't be surprised if uh, Obsidian released a uh, third-person mode in this year. They're, they've announced some DLC, and although they said uh-huh. we're not going to do a third-person mode, if you leave this, if you just like go to the bathroom while you're playing the game and you don't go to the inventory screen, you come back, there will be like a camera going around your character so you can see your character. So you do have a model in the game. You're seeing it through their eyes. So I don't know... I don't know if they'll put it into place or if eventually modders will, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a third-person version of uh, The Outer Worlds coming out at some point. Well, good. Then there's hope for you. <laughs> I would, Yeah, I would be down for that because after like watching or reading your review, I was very intrigued. It's just that one thing that's holding me back. I completely understand. Yeah, it's it can get to people. And like I was saying, yeah, Liz, like I, I know uh, Liz has said in the past, both with VR and like the first-person stuff, like she has to really pick and choose which ones she can do because yeah it can really get her uh if she's not careful and no one wants to puke while playing a game because that's just not fun exactly uh, exactly right uh, but it, yeah it's like i was saying at the top of this is really an attractive looking game uh hey jano you still like the outer worlds yeah i'm still a fan cool moving on no i'm kidding <laughs> go on i've talked about it at length uh i think it's a great game i think that it's funny, with now that I've gotten a little further away from playing it, I'm still as big a fan, but I'm starting to realize just how solid a foundation this game could be for a franchise. It does, I think it does a remarkable job of world building, but it also sets up a, uh, there, there are all of these colony ships that left Earth and to various, various systems and like corporations could build system could buy entire solar systems. So in future games, we might not even be in this solar system we might be in an entirely other solar system with other corporations that bought the planets and there's a lot of storytelling potential there um so i'm really excited to see what obsidian does with it next absolutely um especially with the resources of did microsoft bought them didn't they oh is that what just happened recently oh snap yeah microsoft bought obsidian yeah. I, I i imagine that they probably have some more resources so the next version of the next uh iteration of the outer worlds will probably be a triple a let's just hope that they let them get that polish that we were just talking about where I mean you could yeah, run the risk of having bigger developers start uh, and publishers breathing down your necks like I hope there's the pressure doesn't get to them right yeah and I mean I think a lot of the reason why the outer worlds was such was a so warmly embraced by people is entirely due to Fallout 76 um, I think it would have been good I think people would have been like oh this is really really great it's a good game it's like Fallout but instead people were like oh thank god it's a Fallout game as it should be not that yeah, just a different coat of paint it's like that announcement we just got recently where we're gonna get basically earthbound four but not because <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just it's, so we're gonna get what we want it's just under yeah like it doesn't need to say it, it doesn't need to have ron perlman to still be a good fallout like game no it's 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 gonna be great i mean and fallout 76 is the continuous disaster zone that it always has been that we've been following since it was released oh my god do you guys hear the latest about it do go on hey a hack got released for it at Christmas where uh, players who like installed the, the hack into their character, they could open other characters like they were containers and take every single inventory item and include all of their oh, weapons God. and armor. Oh, so there's, that's like loot. There's what? A, just pickpocketing. There's a YouTube video of just, it, like, I hope this guy dies, but there's a YouTube video <laughs> of him just wandering around for about five hours going from world to world emptying out characters of every single weapon and piece of armor that they've been grinding for for years that's awful oh my that's awful it's like 
how does this happen? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how it happens. You use an engine that was designed for Fallout 3 to build a multiplayer game in 2018. <laughs> Touche. Don't update it. Like, my gosh, ugh. It, it's, it's, it, it just keeps getting worse. It's like a, like I used to say, they should just set it to the theme from Benny Hill. But at this point, the songs run out and it just keeps going. <laughs> the, the, the record's skipping. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to bother. I asked Alana, I was like, hey, this massive DLC release, Wasteland, where they're going to be revamping the entire game, do you think we should cover it? And she's like, do you want to? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Thank you for giving me an out. <laughs> <laughs> to, to quote uh, Jim Sterling, Bethesda did video games bad. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because they had such heights at one point, and we talked about that on our episode where we discussed the Outer Worlds, and yeah, so we'll see what happens. But I was going to say, what is really neat about our action RPG uh, winners and like even the runner-up for the Outer Worlds is it's really neat seeing two new small IPs kind of take the win because, like, yeah, you had Kingdom Hearts 3 in there and Monster Hunter World Iceborne in there. Uh, I don't know if we had any other big companies, but it's still a facing off against, you know, you could very easily just oh, Square Enix, they're really good at what they do, they win. Uh, and it's nothing against Kingdom Hearts 3, but it is still cool seeing, you know, this little indie Kickstarter game from people who just wanted to get back to what they knew and Obsidian taking their time uh, as a smaller studios too to make The Outer Worlds. It's cool seeing that those were our winners this year and that they both have, they're brand new, they both have so much potential to keep going and keep uh, expanding upon their worlds and their gameplay mechanics and we can only get better things out of these really stellar startups, right? Yeah. I hope we keep doing this. I hope they keep, I hope smaller companies like this keep popping up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, I mean, it, we've been going through a big indie renaissance for a while of them being able to kind of do what they want. And it's, they're only getting better as uh, I guess the fan base or, you know, the general gamer community recognize, Oh, we can get what we want if we fund them. And we, we're the, the money's going directly to the source to do what we want them to do. And yeah, sometimes it's going to fall flat like mighty number no. nine. But other times, we've—I feel like we're still getting more successes than failures out of this model, which is great, and letting them do what they want. I've always found it interesting. I mean, there's this is a larger conversation to have, but uh, with Bloodstained Ritual, the night—if the original creator of Castlevania has designed it and it plays exactly like Castlevania, like an evolution of the Castlevania uh, games, it looks the aesthetic of it looks like Castlevania. I understand that they don't own the IP, but. I mean, what's a spiritual sequel versus an actual sequel? Because fin every, by that logic, every single Final Fantasy game would be a spiritual sequel, because ne except for, like, you know, the actual sequels to the games. But each each numbered entry is sp a spiritual sequel to the one before. It may move forward some of the mechanics, but it doesn't have the same characters, the same world. Until you hit 10. <laughs> Until you hit 10, and then, yeah, Square Enix is like, ooh, money. But I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, what's the difference between a spiritual sequel and a sequel if the original people who created the game are behind it? Like, I understand Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is not a Castlevania game because it doesn't have the IP, but is it a sequel to Castlevania in every other important sense? And I think it is. Yeah, does it matter if it's Alucard murdering everybody? No. No, not really. Exactly. Yeah, we had some really solid entries and yeah, some really exciting stuff for them moving forward. Uh, on to our next category, though, was the adventure visual novel genre. And that's something I remember my best friend Pat told me about like Monkey Island 
back in the day. Mm. And uh, that was more or less the only aspect of the genre I really got into. The only adventure visual novel I've ever really finished is uh, the Trogdor game back on the homestarrunner.com website. <laughs> I, I finished <laughs> that whole thing from start to finish, uh, throwing the baby and everything and getting birth to a crisp. It was great. And I uh, have dabbled with like King's Quest and such uh, in the past, but I just, it's not that I've never disliked them. I just never had a, a PC at the time because a lot of them were PC based by and large for the longest time and i just didn't make time for playing a lot of them and now we are getting so many of them thanks to like the ds and like the switch is a good home for them as well and last episode we had mike on he was talking very highly of ai the somnian files he squeaked it out just before the end of 2019 uh and that's why like he got to write up it up as our winner for the best visual novel of the year because uh, for him it just it sold him on the whole genre and how much you, it, I think much it, deserved. Yeah, it was much deserved and it caught him off guard. I think, um, how much he enjoyed it, but it also at the same time, not cause he was very highly anticipating it. Caitlin got it for Christmas. She's excited to get into it. Our video review spoke very highly of it. David really enjoyed playing it as well. Did you t- try it out Tyler? Uh, yes. I, I think I finished it a f- maybe a week or two ago. Oh, good. I, so it's fresh, I right? Very, yeah, it, I really enjoyed it. Well, do go on. I need to get to it. Um, well, I mean, uh, I don't know if uh, you guys have played any more of like Uchikoshi's games. Um, I dabbled a bit with three nine. That's about it. I was a huge fan of Zero Escape, so I I need to get into oh, this yeah. one. <laughs> same, same. That's kind of how it, yeah I got into his work was through the Zero Escape games. Um, but this. Uh, AI was oh, it's so good. Um, it it kind of I feel like it like has um, kind of like how with the uh, Zero Escape games they were kind of had a I mean they had a, like a time limit, but the, since this game isn't as like time dependent, it has more time to breathe in comparison. Like you're able to kind of like um, kind of go more into the the world and the characters more so i kind of that's one thing about ai i really enjoyed how in-depth it is and kind of takes its time so it, it can be kind of slow at times but it kind of it really uh helps when it uh, pulls punches later in the story but i yeah i really enjoyed it i played it for the switch which the switch version kind of has some hiccups like with slowdown and stuff like that but overall it's still an enjoyable game and Peter, you said this is one you really wanted to get into because you've played some of the stuff in the past. But yeah, absolutely. I just I didn't get now. around to it this year. It's uh, it's it's on the to do list for uh, for twenty twenty because yeah, I love Uchikoshi. Um, his his writing is this his stories are so Byzantine, yet also just the way everything comes together is just so fascinating. I and I'm I'm just a big I'm just a big mm-hmm. fan, so I need to I need to get around to it. I've managed to avoid spoilers for now, but uh. Oh, good. Hopefully, good. I can keep, hopefully, I can keep that up into the into the new year. <laughs> good luck. Listen, if I can, yeah. if I can make it two years without uh, the red wedding being spoiled fully for me, then I hope <laughs> that's for you. A, that's 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 some skill. Yeah, I don't know how I did it. I I knew something big and bad happened, and I knew it related to a certain family, but uh, beyond that, I wasn't certain of the full grasp and scope and nature of it. And it's still, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> when it happened. So, I have hope for you. You can do this. Jono, has the visual novel genre been your bag in the past? 
Uh, visual novels, not so much. Adventure games, yeah, hugely. I mean, some of my my earliest PC gaming memories are I got a copy of uh, the LucasArts Adventure Trove or something like that. Oh, yes. Day of the Tentacle. That was another big one for me. Day of the Tentacle, uh, Fate of Atlantis, and Sam and Max. And I, they were my favorite. They, some of them are still my favorite games. Um, I have not played AI. Uh, I have the entire Zero... The Zero Escape trilogy was on Steam for like a buck fifty. the entire thing, a couple months Excellent. ago. So I bought all of it. That's a, that's a steal. Yeah. So I'm going to play those this year. Yeah, I'm going to play them all this year, and then I'm going to jump into this. It's Again, everyone has a backlog, but these are these are some games which I'm like, oh, man, these are these are games I know for a fact I would love, so I've really got to play them. Well, it's basically picking up a good book, I guess, but and they're not yeah. super long, as I recall. Like, it's not a huge commitment to get into. Like, they're pretty digestible, if I'm not mistaken. If Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're uh, right. Yeah, it's one of those things that I'm I'm super pumped about playing. And I mean, Solosi's write-up is pretty damn, is, it's enticing as well. It's, uh, <laughs> yes. Full of drama, intrigue, twists, and the power of dance. Yep, that's, that's all spot on. Compelling. <laughs> Compelling. Yeah. <laughs> the power of dance. It could be a spiritual sequel to Footloose. Uh, well. <laughs> we have well. full circle. It's all about the copper cups. <laughs> that being said, speaking of dance, we'll use this as a very obvious segue <laughs> into Disco Elysium, which was our runner-up. And this one, the style of it, uh, and the execution from what I've heard of it really makes me want to get into it very badly. I mean, uh, as Bob says, it's definitely got its traditional RPG roots, but it is fully like uh, an, an adventure game title. Like, I always thought it was more in the vein of like um, uh, Shadowrun and such with how it was going to play out. So it's nice to hear. I guess it it probably is still a little like that, but it's it leans far heavier into its storytelling and its adventure aspect of it, I guess, and finding things in the world around you to see what works kind of thing. But it's presented in such a way that I thought it was going to play more like those kind of like turn-based RPGs of yore in that kind of vein. But uh, yeah, it's not one I've gotten to play, but I'm glad it did so well. Like it was, uh, it won best game of the year at uh, the game awards. Did it not? No, it, no. The overall game of the year winner was um, Sekiro. I think it won best oh, that's indie what it game, was, maybe? Okay. I think you are correct. Yeah, I knew it won best something. I couldn't remember if it was overall. Yeah, okay. So it was best indie game. Okay, cool. And rightly so. It received many accolades yes. from many very... From and, a lot mean, to, and to be entirely fair, Greg, I, 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 I could barely sit through this year's Game Awards. Right. So. Uh, for those of you who watch the Game Awards, good for you. For those of you who uh, want a more enjoyable version, go look for the uh, the girlfriend's version of the Game Awards. It is much more entertaining. Okay, okay but the... The, the best... Okay, this is off topic for a second, but the best part of the show was the stream I was watching um, when green day started playing uh the person who was doing the stream was just like okay for all you kids in the chat who don't know who these people are uh go listen to jesus of suburbia and cry (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's there's a lot of that whole thing that was really outmoded and anyways that's a bigger discussion and a very off topic but i get you that being said, uh, Disco Elysium looks fantastic and is on my wish list for certain for 2020 or 2021 because, again, I I have big lofty goals for things I would like to play and then life and reviews and everything else gets in the way. And uh, I want to make some really meaningful progress in other aspects of my life. So we shall see how things go. But uh, for you folks, um, Disco Elysium, is it attractive, yay, nay? 
I think it looks astoundingly good. I still haven't, again, I haven't played it yet, but again, one of those games that's not deep in the backlog is right up front. It looks so good. Uh, the graphic style is is stunning, it's stylized, it's ugly and pretty at the same time. Um, the fact that there's no real, there's no traditional combat in it, to me, is actually pretty appealing. I, I think that it's, uh, from everything I've seen, it looks like a game that I would love. So hopefully I will. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, after hearing about it, I'm like, I've I instantly added it to my uh, Steam wish list. So I, I definitely want to play it at some point because it it definitely looks enjoyable. Yeah, it's not really on my to do list, but it does look really interesting, and I'm I'm a big fan of uh, these indie these games like just coming out and like doing something completely off the wall. You may watch a stream, but you may not play it yourself. Yeah, right? def- yeah, probably not. A second secondhand enjoyment of uh, of games is something that's becoming more and more common for me nowadays. Like with Death Stranding, it's like I'm not gonna play this in a million years, but I am fascinated by it. <laughs> it is kind of nice that yeah, because of the popular because of the popularity of streaming and where it's come to both from a delivery standpoint and consumption standpoint that the quality is you know on par with you may as well just be playing it for yourself and. You know, you, once you find a host you like for a stream and then you can follow them, whether that's RPGFan.com eh, or anybody else, uh, <laughs> you know, you can play these games that you're just like, I have a passing curiosity, but I don't know if I want to invest the time and the money into picking it up for myself. That either you can if you're just like, no, not for me, but I am intrigued, so I'll just watch this. Or you can, you're like, nope, that was the demo I needed. I'm heading out the door to buy it. You know, it's it's great in this age of not having blockbusters or abercrombie video uh to go to and pick up (laughs) (laughs) you had to know it was going to come back this episode come on you're literally there this has really become a running joke the last few podcasts i've been on it helps when you're like what like a 10 minute drive away from it right now yeah for those who do not know abercrombie video is my local video store here in new glasgow nova scotia that has been there since i was a small child i used to rent super nintendo games there and it is still open although i don't think they rent games anymore i imagine I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. God, I have absolutely no idea. Do they still rent DVD? I don't know what they rent. <laughs> it's still in the title, so they must rent we, something. We've still, we've still got a family video down the street from us, and they like they still rent video games out. Nice. Oh, nice. They've also they've also opened yeah, a cottage right. CBD industry because uh, that happened pretty much overnight. <laughs> when uh, once yeah, uh, I was. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go on. No, I was just say once once uh once uh weed was legalized in Michigan, like pretty much overnight all these little cottage C B D shops started popping up and then family video started selling it and it's just like Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, ours actually had a pizza place like conjoined to the, the family video as well, but they closed up like in December, so we don't that was like one of our last well, we might have a few, but that was one of the last video rental places. <laughs> it's funny Abercrombie Video had one too it was the but now they they're still open but they moved across the street and it's the best pizza I've ever had. I have a theory that the best pizza in the world is always the pizza that you had when you were a kid. Yes. <laughs> Cuz it's kind of the thing. It was much more guilt-free, that's for sure. Yeah, it's the kind of it's the kind of thing your taste buds it, it's what calibrates your taste buds for everything else. I buy that. Although I've made some good pizzas in the, my uh, in my uh, 30s here. But that being said, Disco Elysium uh, there might be pizza in it. I don't know, but it got editor's <laughs> choice from Bob. I mean, it literally says Disco Elysium is a must-play. Period. 
that's uh, a pretty good selling point, and Bob has pretty discerning tastes, so it's on my list of things to get to because I like the craftsmanship of it. I'm very excited for the writing and the design choices they've made. So this is going to be it's going to be a good ride when I eventually get to it. So on to the next category then. Um, after our lovely adventures in adventuring and visual novels, uh, our strategy RPGs which our big winner was Fire Emblem Three Houses. Up until Fire Emblem Three Houses, I had never played a Fire Emblem game. I think the only real strategy RPG... I think XCOM might have been my first strategy RPG. XCOM Apocalypse. Back uh, the very oh, nice. unfinished PC game, but it was super cool, and I still loved it anyways, and I really wish that game had been like fully developed out because it had some really neat ideas. But yeah, I have my I am again my best friend Pat, who had all the video gaming systems, and I barely did. I think was one of the that was one of the big ones. I think he introduced me to. It was either that or Ogre Battle, uh, March of the Black Queen. It was one of those two were my first strategy RPGs, which are both great games, and I love Ogre Battle to this day. And I'm going to keep shopping it all through 2020 for a retro encounter episode. <laughs> it will happen. <laughs> Make it so, number one. Make it so. Right. Exactly. Uh, amusingly, uh, my mouse pad. Uh, that my mouse is on is one that belongs to Annette and it's Jonathan Frake's face. Excellent. It is, um, it is Commander, Lieutenant Commander Riker. Or no, sorry, Commander just Riker. Commander. Yeah, that's right. He's not Lieutenant Commander. That was Data. Yeah, it's just Will Riker's face on our mouse pad. It's, it's really funny. It's wonderful. <laughs> I'll yeah. take a photo at some point and show you. But uh, yeah, Fire Emblem Three Houses came out this year to great acclaim and for good reason. It's a super fun, very polished game. Uh, in a lot of ways, I mean, there's some ways in which it shows a bit of its seams, but I, I still really loved what I got to play of it because I just did a bit of it for capture when we did our video review of it. And that was enough to get me hooked and go like, how have I missed this series? I think I did like a demo of one on the DS and I liked it well enough, but it was just very hard and hadn't had a chance to go back to it. That was really all there was to it. So getting to finally play a Fire Emblem in earnest so far has been very rewarding. So between that and Cold Steel, like I have these two very like good relationship games, but both very different mechanics that I'm very excited to get into at some point throughout the uh, the years. Um, and Three Houses, I had said, was my resolution to go back and actually finish it this year. It was or one of my gaming resolutions this year. So talk, talk about some Fire Emblem Three Houses or some strategy RPG action. Uh, Tyler, did you pick up Three Houses? No, but I really, really want to, even though uh, it's another instance where I'm it's uh, me bad at video games and I'm not really great at strategy RPGs, but from what I've seen... You all the time in the world? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Honestly, Tyler, Three, ha- Three Houses has um, some really great safety nets. Um, mm-hmm. Mainly the, the fact that you can rewind... You can basically have an unlimited amount. You have a finite amount of like rewinds you can use in each battle. So if you, if you yeah. make a mistake, you can rewind all the way to the start of the mission. Great. It's very useful. Okay, good. And it definitely helps you saving time because like in the runner up, as John will probably John will probably bring up for us, is it can be really heartbreaking when you spend like a whole hour on a mission and then fail. So it's nice to be able to go like you know I'm just gonna go back to the start because I can see where this is going and it's not going in my favor. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but we will. Plus your characters can get really powerful. Like you're the the hero character on the normal difficulty. I, I played um normal classic, like um so there was permadeath on, but most of my characters were so OP by that point it like didn't even matter. Oh, that's good. 
Yeah, so it's it, it seems like a really great entry point into the series, too, because as far as I understand, yeah, it probably will relate to a bit of, like, the mythos from the past games in some ways, but, like, I've come into it and I'm like, oh, this is a contained thing, I understand what's happening, I don't feel I needed any of the past information either, so it never made me feel like I had to have played all the Fire Emblems leading up to now, so I think that's a great play thing as well, and... Yeah, like Peter said, even I still haven't really even gotten out of the prologue myself, and but I still already see how powerful my characters are, just even in the beginnings of the game. Yeah, no, I'll be I'll be brief because I talked about this on Retro Encounter already, but um, I I was very I was not really expecting to like Fire Emblem Three Houses, and it's now my overall game of the year, so I'm very very happy to have been proven wrong, um, because my history with the series was basically. I played the Game Boy ones and liked them. I played Awakening and liked it, and and I played Fates and hated it so much that I didn't. I thought the series was like dead to me. Like, <laughs> so coming back to Three Houses is just like, um, I think it finally finds the perfect balance of like the social elements where it's more like Persona. You get to explore the school. You get to talk to these characters. The characters are all really likable. And it really feeds to this moral moral gray area when it comes to the actual conflict in the game because you like these people. You don't want to fight them. You don't want to kill them, even if you guys are on the wrong sides. And it's just, it's just a good story. Um, I'm planning on playing through the other two routes uh, throughout uh, the rest of this year. Um, I did uh, Black Eagles my first run, and I uh, was just really happy with it. This game, uh, Three Houses is a fantastic game. And uh, it basically turned turned me completely around on the Fire Emblem series. So good show, Bravo! <laughs> oh wow, yeah, I've only played like a little bit of like one of the, or maybe one or two of the Fire Emblem games for like GBA, but I didn't really progress very far. But this, that's very, mm, I definitely want to pick this up at some point. It's it's worth it. Like I mean, just speaking for me as someone who was like completely disillusioned on the franchise before now, like I'm like over the moon about it. Yeah, and I I can I've played. I mean, I I do like some strategy RPGs that I've actually beaten, like Growlancer and Valkyria Chronicles or something like that. But so yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it is real good. And Jono, uh, as far as I know, uh, you mean you you played. Our runner-up, of course, but uh, was this one your 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 bag? Uh, like, did you want? Do you prefer like the smaller stuff that's more like uh, uh, Advance Wars, or like do you uh, like this more elaborate RPG? Would that be more your thing? Well, I find it hilariously funny because both Fire Emblem and Advance Wars were both intelligent systems. Like that was their they were it was their two uh, oh yeah series. So I I think it's hilariously funny that uh, Wargroove, which is a a spiritual, a spiritual success. Uh, let me try that again. I feel like Wardroove, which is a spiritual successor to the Advance Wars, going up against uh, Fire Emblem is kind of funny. Fire Emblem for me, it's one of those games which I, uh, one of those series. On paper, I should love it, but every single time I've tried it, it leaves me cold. Like I don't dislike it, but I remember, I, I think it was Shadow was Shadow Dragon the remake that came out on DS. Oh, we just it, we were talking about that not too long ago, and I, that sounds right. I think it was. I played it for like a couple of hours, and I was like, "I can see how this is good." I'm just not connecting to it. And then a few years later, I, I think it was Fates, uh, and it just again, I played it for a few hours, and I was just like, "I it's just doing nothing for me." So I kind of feel like, although I've heard amazing things about Three Houses, I've 
I just don't know if the series is for me. It's, I would honestly, I would like honestly recommend giving it the, the old college try. Cause again, I was kind of, I was kind of in a similar boat, especially cause Fates is hot garbage. I've said this on many a podcast, but I'm just going to say it again. Fates is trash. And if you like it, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Okay be wrong, that, that's not true just Be- don't try and make us feel that that's right i know that there's a lot of people who who enjoy it i think it cross it, it's a little too tropey for my taste three houses still has a lot of anime tropes but i think it finds a better balance of making the characters feel likable and believable um instead of just uh fetish objects for your character to romance yeah which is always a very weird line considering you're supposed to be the teacher <laughs> no, and yo, you have to wait till the time skip. You know, it's kind of grooming, but um, we're not gonna get into that today. Um, yes, it's still more justifiable than dating a one hundred year old, thirteen year old. It's a lot better than um, basically being married to your maid before the second mission because the game is the game's relationship system is broken. Woof. Anyway. Mm. Wow. Yeah, Fates is a trip. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, three houses. And I'm I, I'm much more aware of a lot of that tropiness. Uh, just uh, my partner is much more socially aware of that sort of stuff, so I've become much more, for lack of a better term, woke to a lot of this more creepy, gross kind of uh, tendencies that we can find in our media for sure. And having a daughter it makes me much more aware of it as well. And I look for it as well to be like, is this something I would be fine with her playing and stuff like that? And she's already started dabbling in three houses because when she saw, she was like, "What's this? Can I do?" It? I was like. You can play it. It should be fine. You may not understand some stuff. Like I think you'll be okay with the combat, but I think the deeper elements will elude you. And I feel like you're not going to really understand what's happening with the romancing, but you do you. Go for it. Like None of it's weird or creepy or odd, so uh, I think it's pretty safe. And yeah, it never made me feel uncomfortable so far with what I've played. And so it's nice to hear that there's a good balance. I think what saves it for me is that you, your character is the only one who can get an S rank. Um, with any character and it's only at the very end like it's pretty much how your game ends oh interesting okay like and they will do a little they do fire emblem games every time you beat the campaign they do a little here's where they are now thing to show you and you'll see a few characters that are like paired off and that's kind of cute but it's not like as in your face as like basically playing let's create child soldiers um like it was in awakening in fates there's a reason it got our strategy RPG game of the year. It it's really great. I'm hooked into it, and I'm I can't wait to get back to it. To be frank, it's just other things that have demanded my time in the meantime. For usually, most of it's just review project stuff, and I also did get um, Jedi Fallen Order or uh, what's the yeah Jedi Fallen Order for Christmas. So I really want to dabble into that soon too. So it's going to be trying to split my time amongst all the things, but uh, this is one worth coming back to for anyone who likes the genre or anyone who's been curious about diving into fire emblem it's a great place to do that Uh, i also played wargroove as well so i've kind of had both beats of it and uh, i've i think i just beat it or i'm right near the very end of it and i I mean i loved advanced wars and i loved wargroove's take on that whole thing and making it more fantasy oriented so again it kind of plays a bit more into my loves there's uh, elements of it that are a bit miss and you can talk to this genre how sometimes the power creep can really uh, hit you and catch you off guard with certain missions. And there's like some of the specialty missions can be like a real drag sometimes too. Like there's definitely one or two of the Caesar ones. I was like, "Mm, I've tried this too many times and I'm going to walk away for a bit and I'll come back later. Yeah. But yeah, trying to get three star stars can be a real, a real slog sometimes. 
I agree with you 100%. Um, that being said, I I mean, I say it in this uh, little blurb, and it's funny, because I when did I review this thing? I reviewed it, geez, almost a year ago. I reviewed it at the end of it's February. It was one of your earliest ones, yeah. Yeah, I reviewed it at the end of February. And I mean, I like I said, I loved Advance Wars, all of them. I, I was always a big fan. So when I looked at this, I was like, ooh. And uh, I just adored it. I thought it was great, but I agree with you 100%. There are a few things more frustrating than you getting through like three quarters of a mission and then especially a super long one and then that's it you die and then you're like oh great there's a wasted day yeah and you wish you had like a way to kind of recoup it or just go back or but at the same time mm -hmm. saves coming could take some of the magic and the tension out of the game too right it's it's a hard thing for them to balance and yeah. and it's comes down to yeah the odd bad choice but i don't find it was I feel like it was fairly well balanced in terms of like punishing you for mistakes or not. Like you could, there was times where I thought I was done and I was able to recoup. And then there's other times where it's just like, no, that was a big, yep. Yeah. That was exactly the mistake I knew was good. At, and it, yep, that, I'm done. All right. <laughs> and but in their it, defense, in their defense, chuckle, uh, chuckle, groove, uh, chuckle, um, chucklefish has, uh, uh, patched in some really good quality of life features since I reviewed the game. That's the trick. When you look at an old review of a game and you're like, oh, some of this isn't really uh, applicable anymore because they fixed it. That's the beauty of patching, I guess. Um, they fixed a lot of that and with like save functions and it's it's much better than it used to be. Um, I'm pretty excited for the DLC that's coming out uh, this year because it means I get to play Wargroove again. And I just, it really did become kind it's of be comfort fun. food. It became a comfort food. I, I'm not gonna, there's no illusions. I mean, I was, I put forward Wargroove as the strategy game of the year and I was looking at, you know, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I was like, I don't have a chance. Um, because, you know, Fire, Fire Emblem Three Houses is, as as you guys were talking about, one of the greatest strategy games ever made. But there was something about Wargroove that, I mean, it really was my game of, it was my game of the year personally, just because I couldn't stop playing it. It wasn't my best reviewed game of the year. I don't think it was the best game I played this year, but it was the game that I played the most and I got the most enjoyment of over the greatest amount of time. It's um, really fun. And like you said yourself, you said yourself too, like has so much versatility, even just outside of the main campaign, you know, like the arcade stuff is really fun. The puzzles are really interesting and really mm. keep you on your toes. Then you can make custom maps to trade with your friends. It's really neat how much they put under the surface. And that's something that you won't find in... Uh, three houses but three houses has its own whole bag of its all other mechanics right so like they both bring something different to the to uh the genre and make them very diverse choices that a player could pick up both and have just as much fun in so many different ways and not feel like they're just treading over the same ground absolutely and it the thing about the thing about wargroove for me and it's not just the dlc that's coming out this year it's it has a tremendous community around it that is continuously creating new content that is equal in many, much of it is equal to the original game. Um, and because of that, you get an insane amount of replay value for the few bucks that you spend on it. And I love games like that games that offer you, we, well, we talked about, we talked about this a few days ago with, uh, uh, Z-Boyd games, how their games offer an amazing amount of value. And I love games that offer just value that it just doesn't seem to stop. And that's kind of what Wargroove has. It's definitely in the interest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can create entire campaigns, story campaigns, not just like custom maps, but you can create stories, custom maps. Uh, it allows you to create your own version of the campaign. And 
Which is very robust even on a console, you know? Like, usually you would expect that level of customization from a PC release, but this is all on the Switch. Yeah, and uh, I am a... I am a giant fan. Well, it's also on PC. I think I played it on PC. Oh, is it on PC um, now? Okay. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I I think it's it, it's my game of the year, which we might talk about in a future podcast. But just for this, as best strategy RPG, I haven't played Fire Emblem Three Houses, so I can't speak to it. But I would defend Wargroove as one of the best strategy games of the year. It's it's I just think it's really great. And I mean, if you, it's I think it's a great game. Has Gwen played it at all, or would you? I mean, it's certainly kid friendly. Yeah, she has definitely uh, dabbled in and out with it and loves it a lot. And uh, I think she's even like done a little bit of like building her own. But uh, I'm not sure how far along she is in the campaign. But she does really enjoy it. Like when I mentioned it to her, because I thought it would be great for her as well. Yeah, because it's very friendly uh, and on the easier difficulties. Like it's not the most challenging thing, but it's still it's enough like critical thinking and such. Like it builds some really good skills as far as a game could do for a child, which is great. And she's gotten a lot of enjoyment. There's many a time where I've picked up the Switch to play something and Wargroove is open with her on it. Mm-hmm. So right now it's been Pokemon more lately, but it's still, or it, it's basically like Wargroove, Pokemon, or Undertale are one of the three things that are in steady rotation for her. <laughs> Your kid has such great taste. <laughs> <laughs> she really does. We've we've taught her some good stuff. But yeah, for Wargroove, yeah, I just love how they developed the characters too. Like uh, Marcia is a great lead they don't make any deal of the fact that she's a female lead they don't draw attention to her trying to say hey look what we've done it's just like nope she's just the queen and she does great and she's badass and that's what it is like they don't say like oh it's weird that she's better at swords and wears pants you know like no she's just a badass she just is and that's great i love that they they wrote her that way and more writing is starting to lean in that direction which is super great and it was really funny actually when i was playing rogue groove it was around the time I think that uh, the Dragon Prince came out, and there was a weird sort of like my brain would kind of cross the two worlds together in a weird way sometimes because uh-huh. I don't know. There's it, like the flavor is and isn't the same all at the same time, but for some reason there's just the two went very well hand in hand thematically in my life at that in, when they everything was coming together there, and that was really funny too. But uh, yeah, was Wargroove on either of you guys' radars? No, I haven't played it myself. Um, it does look really interesting. It's just a it kind of falls on the too many games pile for me, unfortunately. But um, that's totally fair. Yeah, it seems like a worthy a worthy contender for the the strategy RPG throne this year. Yeah, it wasn't really something on my radar, um, but it definitely looks interesting. Well, given like you were saying, you're you're like I'm not sure what's good at the strategy RPGs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can understand why it wouldn't be. It's just a question of you know, do you want the bigger budget, three D flare? <laughs> full dynamic map or do you want something that's a little more traditional and feels like right. it plays well in your hands and you know is maybe more digestible yeah because at least with wargroove it is more about just the strategy gameplay like there isn't all the elements of the relationship building and managing mm-hmm. your your teaching time and you're exploring the monastery and all that sort of stuff it, like you just you go mission to mission go through the silly witty combat and or silly witty story beats and the, the very straightforward combat and figuring out the, the kind of system of like what does better against what and all that sort of stuff and feeling the satisfaction of getting the right units out kind of thing. It's it's right into the in the mud, so to speak, which can be a lot less overwhelming. Okay. No, for sure. I just about my only criticism of the game. It's funny, I was just I was just briefly reading through my review and looking at it and be like, hey Past Jono, you have some good points, but you're wrong in others. Um 
But uh, yeah, I mean, he he's he's he does a good job sometimes. But man, um, the one thing that I really do agree with <laughs> agree with myself about is <laughs> let me tell is, you about John now. He <laughs> um, is the fact that all all units except for hero units for all three factions are all the same. So yeah, that was a bit of a bummer. I wish there was some racial bo- bonuses or something. Yeah, or at least something to differentiate. Like if you have a, if you have a knight, all three knights or all four knights and all four factions, they have different sprites, but they all have the exact same attributes. And it would have been nice to see some tweaks. I'm not even talking about like big things, like new abilities, or maybe just a few tweaks to uh, their stats um, to make them a little bit more uh, varied. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, the 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 undead ones could be more susceptible to um you know direct melee combat but take slightly less damage from arrow fire or something like that right or whatever you know yeah exactly i'm not talking like zerg humans protoss levels of differentiation in completely different units but just a few things to make it feel like you're playing a a very different group when you're playing as each faction yeah as opposed to all the factions clearly came together at some point like these are what we're allowed to make everybody okay mm-hmm. your heroes can be different that's okay but if i have a knight and you have a knight and you have a knight they're all the same knights cool we're all on board we've unanimously unanimously decided globally what we're all going to make as our units yeah well that was the uh, the rules of warfare in medieval times that was all right. about fairness and that's kind of how it feels but it would have been Nice, because it, on the one hand, during the campaign, it's fine, because then you don't have to kind of relearn things as you go. You're mostly just kind of relearning how the heroes work for each mission to mission. But it would have made things a lot more interesting when going into the um, the arcade mode and fighting against each other when you're playing multiplayer. Because mm-hmm. that's one thing that was great about Advance Wars is, again, everyone had, I think, more or less somewhat similar units, and there was a few extra specials that were different. But it was the heroes that would give bonuses on top of their skills. So, like, mm-hmm. I think certain ones would be like, oh, the light tanks are better with this hero. Or this hero makes it so all the boats can move further and do extra damage and stuff like that. And that would have been nice that if you had Marsha in there, that all of her, like, foot soldiers maybe had a bonus and then everything else was the same. Like, even that could have been nice, whether if it wasn't necessarily ratio, it was the hero bonuses too. Like, something to differentiate those basic units, yeah, would have really made the game that much better. And we can hope for that from possibly Wargrove 2. Yeah, we haven't heard anything about it yet, but the DLC is coming out next this year. Next, I keep saying next year, and it's like, no, it's not. It's this year now. Right. Um, uh, so hopefully, we'll see some of that. It looks it looks pretty interesting. It's going to be a co op campaign. So if you have someone you want to play the game with, apparently it's it's. it's I a choose Jono. You can also thank you. You can also play it single player. So that'll be fun, though. It's I'm glad we're getting more because yeah, I was like, are we going to get a sequel? We're we going to get a DLC. So at least we're getting something, which is fantastic. Yeah, I love when indie developers can almost always be, at least the really successful ones, can be counted on to provide you with uh, some good secondary content that comes up in the future. But I mean, for most of them, not everyone can be like Shovel Knight, where it's just like where it's five different games and lots of other things. They got a lot going on. Yeah. At any rate, we're going to wrap up the episode uh, to get through the rest of the list. Uh, Although the final category I do want to bring attention to is our indie RPG game of the year. Uh, just because the winner was Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, and our run-up was Disco Elysium. And we've talked about both already. They're both solid indie RPGs. We like them. We want to see more from them. And uh, that's about that. But we don't really need to go into a whole discussion. 
we're going to come back with the next episode and get into MMORPGs and expansions and mobile games and some other fun stuff. So uh, either stay tuned and uh, listen to the rest of the episode along with the read and hear our expanded thoughts or not. That's entirely up to you. In the meantime, we've got some more retro encounter coming out for the new year. I forget what's on the docket. Uh, we just did a podcast. Slosi said what was on it. He's always much better at remembering, obviously, his own schedule than I am. Uh, yeah, we just talked about uh, Cthulhu Save Christmas. That's going to be one that just went live. And then uh, there's going to be some uh, some Suikoden and talk, I think, coming up soon, too, as well. So stay tuned for those. Rhythm Encounters out there if you want to hear about music. We have our Music of the Year feature has also should be live by now as well. And we might talk a bit about that uh, moving forward. And finally, uh, Hat and Eric over at uh, Phoenix Edge Podcast are keeping up with the news and events better than I do at random. And if you want to hear about uh, a lot of their most anticipated stuff coming into the year and what they loved about uh, 2019 and are looking forward to in 2020, go check out the Phoenix Edge Podcast. Phoenix Edge Podcast as well. Podcast. Hodge Podcast. <laughs> they make it out of clay. At any rate, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Jono, Peter, Tyler, thank you for being on the podcast with me and discussing all these great games that we had to, <laughs> to play and some of which we didn't have the chance to play because there's too many good games this year. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Good to hear you all. And thank you, listeners. Till next time, stay tuned for uh, part two of our Game of the Year discussion. Um, I guess just to uh, use the parlance of what we were just talking about, <laughs> get in, losers. Let's podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Meme Encounter. Meme them encounter. So, but I was just like, I feel rude answering my door with no pants. So, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're a scholar and a gentleman.